You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Hey, would you please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew 7, we're going to continue in our series, Warring with Worry, and I love how we're kind of we're getting it, I mean, like, we'll be, in, we'll be in conversations with each other, and uh, I, I'm hearing, some have said it to me, I've said it to others, and I'm also hearing some of you say to each other, hey, 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 stop worrying about that, stop worrying about that. And so it's a good thing. It's, uh, it's, it's um, bringing about some wonderful conversations. And so as we're embarking on this journey, um, we will find ourselves once again back into the Sermon on the Mount. It's just so rich with uh, teaching here in Matthew 6, and then we'll start here in Matthew 7. But one of the most hopeless aspects of unbelievers and their lives is that they have no answer for anxiety. Uh, they are forced to put their hopes in, you know, plans that are faulty, in you know, institutions that uh, really can't, you know, fully uh, fully help them. Uh, they're not able to rest firmly in the unchanging promises of God. They have to just simply ride out every single scenario, every single difficulty and unexpected disaster. They're just, they're just clinging to, well, I hope I, can, I hope I can make it through this. But our relationship with the Lord is one of the best guards that we have against the, this crippling anxiety that can come into our lives. And so I want to start this morning. It might take two weeks. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll, we'll see kind of uh, how how this morning goes uh, as far as as far as time, but I want us to look at the idea of our Father overcoming our anxiety, not our human Father, but our heavenly Father. He is the one that should help you overcome the anxiety and the worry and the fret that is in your life. Because of who our heavenly Father is, because of His sovereignty, and we're going to spend weeks on this idea, you and I, we don't need to worry about finances. We don't need to worry about the basics of life, of what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to put on, and those different types of things. But I want to ask you a question. Have you forgotten who your Heavenly Father is and what He is like? We tend to forget. We tend to not, in those moments of anxiety, in those moments of difficulty, we tend to not remember or bring to remembrance just how caring our, our Heavenly Father is. So if our concept of God is right, and I think you know what I mean by that, if, if it is right, if it is biblical, then you and I see Him as our owner in the proper term, okay, controller and provider, and beyond that, our loving Heavenly Father, then you know that you have nothing to worry about. Look at verse number 9 of Matthew chapter number 7. Or what man is there of you 
whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. So he's, Jesus is using this human example, and it doesn't, what obviously compared to God, you and I, we are evil, but in Christ we're holy. We, we get that. But he's using just this generalized description. He's like, you who are fallen, you who aren't perfect like me, you're not going to mess with your kids like that. You're not, you know, if, you, if your kid's asking for food, you, you're not going to give him a serpent. And so he says, if ye then being evil, so again, don't, don't take offense to that. It's just kind of the, uh, the, the way he's setting this up. How, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, get, give good things to them that ask him? So he's saying, hey, remember. Remember who I am. Remember what I am, am like. You do it. And you do great with your kids, but you're not even like me. You're fallen. You sometimes will give so you can get in return. And yet God just gives. And He gives lavishly. And so because of God's sovereign control, because He is a loving Father, Heavenly Father, we can rest assured that He will faithfully provide for His children. So now go back to Matthew 6. We've been in and through this uh, passage multiple times, uh, but we are going to uh, continue there today. And we're going to look at some observations we've kind of just hit slightly, but we're going to dive in a little bit deeper. I want you to notice, first of all, that God always feeds His creatures. Always. Look at verse 26 of Matthew 6. Behold... The fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So let's consider some birds for a moment. They do not possess um, self-consciousness or the ability to strategize or to reason like you and I who are created like God. In fact, all they have working for them is that God has given them instinct to survive. And incredibly, they do. The Lord does not just create life with these birds and with the fowls of the air. He sustains it. The Bible tells us, I've alluded to this, we've looked at this on a Wednesday night in our home group, uh, that he tells us that baby birds, that they cry out to God for their food, and God gives it to them. Job 38, verse 41, Who provideth for the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat? Who provides that? Well, God provides for that little baby raven that can't, that can't sow, that can't reap, that can't stockpile surplus of any kind, but instead God provides through the instinctive nature of that raven to bring food back for the young. Psalm 147, verse 9, He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. And so God hears even the, the chirp, so to speak, the cries for those hungry Baby can do nothing birds, meaning for themselves. 
And he instinctively takes care of them by what, of course, the papa and mama uh, birds do. Now listen, that's not an excuse for idleness in any way. You will not see birds standing out on limbs of trees and just, you know, with their mouths open, you know, just waiting for worms to fall from the sky, right? You don't see that. I mean, the, the babies do, but, but they ultimately then get kicked out of that nest and they gotta, they got to grow up for themselves. And so you don't just see birds out there. It was funny. There was a crow or something loud in our big, huge oak tree in the back here, and my son was talking to it today. I mean, just, rah, 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 you know, and it's like, man, maybe he's got some, you know, secret language that he can, uh, that he can understand. But yeah, that bird was out there, but you know what he's doing? He's constantly looking for things. Take half of your donut, if you dare, and not eat it yourself and throw a donut out on that playground. Guess what? A bird is going to be scavenging, right? He's going to find that half eaten donut. So they're not just out there and saying, hey, God, you know, rain worms into my mouth god feeds them absolutely but he feeds them through the instinct that tells them where to find worms god has instituted a system that involves their working hard for their sustenance birds are always busy searching always busy gobbling up little insects and preparing their nests and caring for their young teaching them to fly, and as I mentioned, kicking them out of their nest at some point. They instinctively migrate, if need be, to get to where the food is. And all that work is to be done if they're going to eat. And that is how the Lord sovereignly designed them. And so because of that design, birds do not worry where they're going to find food. They just go about their business and they go find it. They find the food. And they always do because God is looking out for them. That's what Jesus is giving this word picture here. Look, Turn to Matthew 10, please. Matthew chapter number 10. Verse 29. Jesus put it this way. Saying, hey, birds don't worry. Why are you worrying? Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. In other words, without, without him being aware. But the very hairs of your head, or the ongoing forever joke, the lack thereof for some of us, they are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. Birds are everywhere, right? And God knows when one dies, so to speak. He knows every single hair on your head. They're numbered. And we worry if he's going to provide for us. I don't know, in about 20 minutes or so, we're going we're gonna to break. And we're going to not pray alone. Uh, I know some of you are getting super nervous. You're going to pray with somebody else. And before you pray, each of you are going to share something that you 
worry about. Be open, be real, be honest. This is what community is all about, right? And then pray for those two things that you tend to worry about. We're going to do that. Um, and just think of the birds. Think of how God, God, God takes care of his creatures. And Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10, he's like, you're, you're far more valuable than those birds. You're much, to, to, to God, you're more valuable. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Take a little journey with me here real quick. Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is saying, are you not much better than a bird? Well, of course you are. Genesis 1, no bird was ever created in the image of God. Look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. Oh, you see that? Over the fowl of the air. You have dominion over them and God even takes care of them. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You and I are created in the image of God. Turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. No bird was ever designed, hear me, to be joint heirs with Christ. Look at verse 15 of Romans 8. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Praise God for that. But ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Notice that. The Spirit does that. We're, we're not all born into that. We become sons of God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox there for a little bit. But the Spirit itself bears witness that we are, that with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, so if we are His children, if we are Christians, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Listen to that. No, no bird is a joint heir with Christ. No bird has the riches that Christ has at their disposal, and yet you do. Because Christ and His Spirit is in you. He has made you alive. And this was before the foundation of the world. One of the, one of the um, results of your salvation that you would be joint heirs with Christ. I mean, amazing. You're going to inherit. <laughs> inherit it all. John 14, please. John 14. So no bird was, was ever created in the image of God. No bird was ever designed to be a joint error with Jesus Christ. And can I say also, no bird has ever had a place prepared for it in heaven. Now do all dogs go to heaven? I'm not answering that question right now because I don't know. Okay, But look what it says in verse number 1. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, why are their hearts troubled? Their hearts are troubled because in chapter 13, they're starting to talk about death. Jesus is starting to talk about how he's getting ready to go to the cross. There's going to be death that's coming along. I'm not always going to be with you. And so he comes along and he says, Hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because you and I, we were not meant to be at peace with death. 
You and I were created in this image of God to live eternally. What happened? Sin came in, wrecked that. And so now, he's saying, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Literally, believer, Christian, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got a place in heaven being prepared for you. I mean, talk about forethought. Right? It's being prepared for you. Before the foundation of the world, God was like, okay, when, when uh, let's just see, when Marquita trusts Jesus Christ as her Savior, what year was that? Do you remember? You don't have to have... 1962? Boom! Before the foundation of the world, God said, at that moment, she's going to become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What forethought. What amazing in eternity for God to say, I want to, we're going to create man for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for fellowship, and for their worship to us. Why? Because God is worthy of that worship and that adoration. We're going to do it here in a little bit, starting at 11. And he said, I want to create man in our image. What forethought? And I'm going to, for believers, going to create a, a room and buy a big old mansion in heaven for you. I think, I think it's going to be a pretty big room. What's yours going to look like? I don't know. What's mine going to look like? I don't know, but you can read Revelation. You can see all the beauty that you find in, uh, in heaven. But listen, no bird has ever been given this type of forethought, and yet Jesus says, I take care of all those birds. I know when they die. And yet we worry, right? I'm not trying to shame us. I'm just trying to cause us to have some ammunition to, hey, remember God. Remember your heavenly Father. You're, you're, you're going to worry this week, most likely. And so in those moments when you're tempted to worry, is temptation sin, yes or no? No, it's not. Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin. And so you're going to be tempted to worry this week. I want ammunition in your heart and in your mind. No, no, no. Remember. Remember the birds. Remember the birds. If God can faithfully sustain the life of a bird, don't you think He can and will take care of you? Life is a gift from God. And if God gives you the greater gift of life itself, don't you think He will give you the lesser gifts needed to sustain that life? Now, I want you to keep in mind, like a bird, you and I, we have to work. Because God has designed that man should earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so because of the fall, work became difficult. However, work was not something that was only because of sin. Work was there prior to sin. Creative type of work was there prior to sin. And God created us to be like that and to be in His likeness, creating things and making things and creating names for all of these animals. And so God gave man in His likeness a great, a great ability to work. But because of the fall, now that work became hard. Now food became 
more difficult to get. And I realize that in the abundance of America, that's so hard for us to think of. Food, hard to get. I get that. Remember last week we talked about what it would have been more like in Jesus' culture when he's teaching us the radicalness of uh, Matthew chapter number 6. And so you and I, we, we know that we are supposed to work. The Bible tells us that if we're not willing to work, that we shouldn't eat. Paul says in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Okay? He's not saying that if you can't work, sometimes there's, there's things that will cause you to not be able to. But if there's not a willingness, I'm not going to work. Well, you know what? Shouldn't eat. And so just as God provides... For the birds, their instinct, so he provides for man through his effort. All right? So instinctively, God said, I want to put some, I'm going to put some effort into you, and he will provide. He's in control of all things. Let me say secondly, man, time's flying. Worry is unable to accomplish anything productive. Nothing. It doesn't accomplish anything productive. And so, again, back in Matthew 6, if you've turned away from that, go back to 6, please. Jesus gives a practical observation that really kind of highlights the folly of worry. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, remember what taking thought means. Old way of saying, which of you, by worrying or by being anxious, can add one cubit unto his stature. One cubit. Now there's a lot of ways that you can interpret that. And uh, one certainly would be, you know, trying to, oh, I want to be 6'5". Okay, that would mean i got to get an inch and a half. Hey, that'd be pretty cool, right? Just got to wear platforms like some ladies, right? I don't know how you do it. Heroes, for sure, wearing high heels, stuff like that. But so certainly you can interpret it that way. And, you know, that would lend itself to uh, what you're seeing here. But a more, another way that, that it can be interpreted is that you are adding stature or you're adding, or you're adding cubit or you're adding time to your life. Okay? And so... Not only will you not lengthen your life by worrying, but you actually can probably shorten it. Charles Mayo, who is the founder of the Mayo Clinic, he made this observation about worry. He says, worry adversely affects the circulatory system, heart glands, and the entire nervous system. In the medical journal American Mercury, Mayo said, he never knew anyone who died of overwork but he knew many who died of worry. You can worry yourself to death, but you'll never worry yourself into a longer life. There's a lot of wisdom there by Charles Mayo. We live in a day when, uh, when people are in a panic to lengthen their lives. Uh, they have you know, excessive interest in vitamins, health spas, miracle drugs, exercise. God, however, has previously determined how long we're actually going to live. Job 14, verse 5, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Now, does that mean that we should disregard sensible advice about our diet? 
Should we just disregard some great advice about exercise? Well, of course not. It will increase the quality of our lives, not necessarily the quantity of our lives. When I exercise, when I eat the right food, my body and my brain, what happens? They, 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 they work better. They, they function. I feel better literally just all around. But I'm not going to kid myself to thinking that if I ride my bike every, every single day to work, that I'm going to handcuff God to give me 10 more years. But guess what? I'm trying to ride my bike to work more times. Why? Because I want the better quality of my days, not necessarily a quantity. So to worry about how long you're going to live and how to add years into your life, honestly, it's to distrust God. And so if you give Him your life and you're obedient to Him, He will give you the, hear me, the fullness of your days. You will experience life to the fullest when you live to, we've already talked about this, to glorify God. And if you live your life today, you live your life this week to glorify God, guess what? You will enjoy and you will experience your life to the fullest. It doesn't mean that you don't die in a car crash this week. And God forbid that would happen. Lillian just told me this morning of a friend that they had that her uh, and her late husband used to work for, right? And he was in Texas and he he just died in one of the shootings that were down there. Tragic. It's horrible. But that literally could happen to any of us, right? And so it's not like we can handcuff God, but also to worry about these things, honestly, is most likely going to shorten our life. No matter how long or short our lives will be, if we glorify God with them, listen, it will be wonderful. Job 14.5. If you actually look at the verses before it and after it, you get actually better context, and I should have put those in there. Just read Job 14. It's the questioning of all that's going on. Number three. Number one, God takes care of all of His creatures. Number two, worry is unable to accomplish anything that is productive. And then number three, God arrays even the meadows in abundant splendor. God arrays the fields and the meadows with abundant splendor. Because Jesus goes on to teach, look at verse number 28 of Matthew 6, if you turned away. And why take ye thought for raiment? Close. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now you and I, in our secular world we live in, you know what we do? We go to Old Navy, we go to Gap, and we just buy our clothes. We don't even think about it. But the concept of spinning is how it is made. In other words, those are lilies. They're not, they're not working. And yet God, in His grace and in His just awesomeness, He just makes them beautiful. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the fields, oh, let me, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? Now, for some people, the most important place in their whole world is their closet. Instead of being afraid that they're going to have anything to wear, which would have been more realistic in Bible days, 
we tend to, in our kind of secular culture, we tend to worry about, hey, do I have something that matches? Do I, uh, you know, do I, you know what I mean? Is it, is it nice enough? Andrew, a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about food, he was talking about in the America, just abundance of America, we don't worry about, hey, am I going to get to eat today? You know what we worry about? Man, where am I going to eat today? Hey, when mama's gone, you eat out a lot. Amen? Shh, no, me. <laughs> but so, I mean, I mean that, was a great, that was a great point. And so when you come to the clothing concept, we don't, we, we don't worry about if we're going to have something to wear tomorrow. None of us do. And we worry about is like, hey, you know, is it, is it, you know, whatever. Whatever it is you worry about. Whatever it is I worry about. You know, is it going to look right? One of you noticed the other day that I had like, like a just dark blue shirt on and just dark blue shoes. And it's like, yeah, I see you coordinating there. Yeah, I thought about it. And that's honestly, though, those are the types of things that we worry about. Is it going to look best? But lusting after costly clothes and idolizing one's own appearance is a common sin in our society. And it's, it's, sometimes I think about this. Whenever I kind of walk through a shopping mall, and uh, we, were one, we were in one on uh, Friday night, me, me, me and the kids. And you just look at all these stores, and you begin to think, how, how in the world can they sustain their inventory? And you walk through like a Macy's, and there's just so much in there. And yet we worry. How are we going to look? Is it new enough? I wore that last year, and things like that. It's an ongoing, and listen, I'm no, I'm no martyr. This is just kind of more for, for, for comedy. It's, a, it's an ongoing joke in my family that over the years, like when the fall and kind of winter hits, we'll, we'll take family pictures, and I'm like wearing like one of my favorite little like Nike sweatshirts, like six years. It's like, listen, it's because like, it's my favorite. How many, how many have a favorite? You know what I'm talking about, Right? And so it's just an ongoing joke. It's like, Ryan, can you wear something else next time when we go to wherever so we can take a different picture and, you know, we, we have fun with it. Trust me, you come to my closet, I have way too many clothes. So this definitely speaks to me. And so we've got to be careful that we don't drape our bodies with things that really have nothing to do with inner beauty of what real character is. First Peter 3, verse 3, Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning or the plating of the hair and wearing of gold or putting on a pair of it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. So if you want to talk about fancy clothing you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, hey, you really, you, you, you really want to know what is fancy? It's all those flowers out there. It's all those, it's all the, all those little lilies and Beautiful little even weeds that pop up in our lawn. Right, Ron? Right, out there? He says, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spend. And then he goes on to say, And even Solomon, and all of his beauty and everything that he would have had going for him, he could have gotten anything he wanted as far as clothing goes. And he's saying, He's not even arrayed like one of these little ones. You can take the most gorgeous garment at the Stanford Mall, the most expensive item that you have. And guess what? If you were to take a microscope in on that beautiful piece of clothing, you know what you're going to see? Something that probably looks like sackcloth, right, as you zoom in on that thing. But you go out and you pick a flower, and you begin to zoom in on God's creation of the beauty of His flowers, 
you see such intricacy, such beauty. You know what Jesus is saying? Hey, don't miss what he's saying. Again, ammunition this week when we worry. Is look out of the flowers out front and you see that God arrays them. And, and, what are, and, what are, and what are the lilies for? Well, what are the things that Jesus says here? Back in Bible days, what they would do is they would take some of these and would kind of be um, kind of kindling, right? They would try to get their food going with it. And so they would take it one day and they would cast it into the fire. Something that is so temporal. And God says, hey, you are eternal. You are created in the image of God. You have been um, designed to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I have, I'm creating a place for you in heaven. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Ryan, hey, stop worrying about these things. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going I'm I'm to end with an anonymous poem. I couldn't find who wrote it, but it's, it really expresses a lesson simply. And then we're going to pray. Like I said, we're going to do it. Said the wildflower to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the wildflower, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me pretty good said the wildflower to the sparrow i should really like to know why these ancient human anxious human beings rush about and worry so said the sparrow to the wildflower friend i think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me man you know that song we sing a good good father we've got a good good father and he takes care of you. And so this week, put some, put some bullets, you know, get some ammunition, feeds all of his creatures. We've looked at that in a different way today. He feeds them all. And he says, hey, he lets us know, hey, worrying, it's actually not even productive. You can't add a cubit to your statue. You can't grow anymore or kind of more of a today's definition. You can't add even a second to your lifespan. And then... Then, then, then he tells us that all the meadows, all the fields are full of things that just pop up. They're more beautiful than anything that Solomon's ever had, and they just get thrown into the fire. Temporal. And he's saying, but you who are eternal, you who have a home in heaven waiting for you, you who are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, you that have before the foundation of the world have been thought of, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. So what we're going to do. I want you to find somebody can be your spouse. I didn't make any rules. Okay, whatever. I want you to find somebody and I want you to just share something that you tend to worry about. Both of you do that and then spend a minute or, minute or two praying about that specific thing and maybe bring in a few of these truths. Okay, let's do it. All right.